The Beauty We Love podcast is inspired by the Rumi poem. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Listen as I interview people from all different walks of life as they share their stories of the conventional and unconventional ways they have created success. These are the stories of people who have linked their passions with their purpose and have infused what they love into what they do. I'm your host, Ellen Browning Lafferty, aka L. Browning, and in this episode of the Beauty We Love podcast, Master of Hashi shares how his experience with traditional Oriental healing and the Eastern concept of health have been central in his life. He grew up as a young boy in the 1940s in Hiroshima, Japan, and later moved to the United States in the 1970s, where he popularized shiatsu in the West and worked with an impressive client roster, including Muhammad Ali, Liza Minnelli, Henry Kissinger, and Ralph Lauren. In the 1970s, he founded the Ohashi Institute, an international nonprofit educational institution, which he still runs today, te- teaching students around the world in his signature method, Ohashiatsu. This episode is particularly helpful for anyone pursuing a career in helping and caring professions. Ohashi shares his philosophies on how to create business success, career longevity, and a fulfilling life, particularly as a practitioner whose work is in service to others. I feel so lucky to have had the opportunity to interview Master Ohashi. Having taken several of his live classes in New York City, I always appreciate how he brings humor and levity to his powerful teachings. Master Ohashi, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Erin, this is my honor and pleasure to be interviewed by you. I am really excited to get into this interview, and I would like to start with the questions, what are your pronouns? He uh, is applying. He, okay. So your pronouns are he, yeah. him. And what decade of, or Ohashi. Okay, thank you. Yeah. And what decade of life are you in? 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s? I'm a 70s, yeah. And what part of the world are your ancestors from? What the world I'm from? Yes. I'm from Japan. Thank you for sharing. And I know because I've had the pleasure of taking some of your classes that you were born near Hiroshima in 1944. And you have talked about your young body being weak after the war. And I remember in our classes that you've talked about your own knowledge of the healing power of your own body, in part because of this experience. And I'm wondering, can you share more about this? I was born 1944, June 11th. And this is a Hiroshima prefecture. Very fortunately, we are not Hiroshima City, which is atomic bomb, 1945, August 6th. But the city where I was born, I was one year and two months old, my city was all also bombed by regular bombing by Boeing 29. My house where I was bound. That is oh my August. Yes, oh my goodness, yes, August 8th. Unfortunately, August 15th war was over. But I was premature birth and very fragile and terrible malnutrition because of starvation. And when I was two years old, I got cholera. 
and I was almost dying. But anyway, very terrible, my birth, and very fragile. And so, fortunately, I survived. So, therefore, I understand life is not as you take it, but I really appreciate one single day to continue to live till today, which is 78 years old. So I consider my life is a <laughs> fringe benefit. <laughs> <laughs> dead at the age of three. Everybody believes I'm going to die before three years old. But fortunately, I'm now 77 fringe benefit, 77 years <laughs> fringe benefit. So I'm ready to die anytime because I'm overlived 77 years. Wow. That is the beginning. Yeah, this is the beginning of my life. And then that's the reason why I'm very grateful for my life. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm impressed by your perspective. You shared this perspective in one of our classes. I think it was an Ohashiatsu class. And you talked about that you trust your body's ability to heal because you have overcome so much. And you talk, talked about different people having different strengths, but that in a way, and I'm forgive me because I'm paraphrasing here, but <clears throat> in a way you having been so sick when you're young taught you that your body's very good at healing. And I wanted to thank you for that because that perspective made a really big impact on me. So thank you for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Because people always ask me, what's the difference between Ohashiatsu and other shiatsu? Then I said to people, Ohashiatsu is for you, practitioner and the therapist. Ohashiatsu is designed for givers. Yeah. Yeah, that's my philosophy. When I give a treatment, I'm actually giving my treatment to myself. By accident, some people get better. It's a great perspective because I feel like yeah. so often body workers, we can become very exhausted working for other people, exactly. but your philosophy is different. Can you yeah. talk about even more about what makes Ohashiatsu different from regular Shiatsu? And maybe even, can you even explain shiatsu to listeners who maybe don't know what shiatsu is? The point is that shiatsu is a part of our body work and oriental method of healing. And they study, they work so hard, then they give this kind of a body work therapy to the people who are suffering, to cure them, to take care of them. That is a very good idea. For me, I am so fragile. I'm a, what you call, no energy. I cannot work to make them happier, healthier. I barely survive to give a treatment to other people in order to make me healthier. And that's where I design Ohashiatsu. And therefore, I can give a lot of treatment because each time when I give a treatment, I am getting better. 
I'm getting happier. And this is the reason why Ohashi is 50 years practicing here in America. And still I have 20 years to go to give a treatment. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. When I meet the other professional, dedicated bodywork therapist, chiropractors, physical therapists, shiatsu people, massage people, they are working so hard to make other people healthier. In the end, they are so tired. They are so exhausted. But me, no. Each time I'm getting better. And by accident, some people love me. And because by accident, some people will get better because I'm not getting better. It's such a beautiful, <laughs> it's such a beautiful philosophy. And do you feel yes. like that also extends into perhaps our personal lives as well, that we should, that we should Absolutely. take care of ourselves first? Yes. Yeah. Yes, this is my relationship with my clients. Even my students, don't worry, you don't get better, but I will take care of you because I'm getting better. So people accept this philosophy. Since 1984, I'm giving treatment to Henry Kissinger and his wife, Nancy. I'm still giving a treatment then now. The other day, Henry Kissinger is 99 years old, okay? And he asked me, Ohashi, we are receiving a treatment from you so many years. We never get better. Do you know when we are getting better? And that's his question, very honest question. Then I said to him, Mr. Henry Kissinger, I'm terribly sorry. You never get better, but Ohashi is getting better. <laughs> Ohashi is getting better. So you have a chance to receive more in the future. And he said, oh, that's a very good idea. Please continue. I have a client who are receiving 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and they never get better. But they are so happy to receive from me. So they say, Ohashi, please don't die before I die. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It reminds me of a process. It's a concept in creating artwork, right? I have a hobby of I'm a painter. And we talk about the beauty of immersing ourselves in the process of creating the artwork instead of the product of the outcome. and you describe accidentally sometimes people become healthier in, in getting treatments from you. I think sometimes beautiful works of art are created when we immerse ourselves in the process instead of fixating so much on a finished product. See, this is a very important point, as you're mentioning. If you work for them, if you offering in giving treatment to other people, you can be uh, so arrogant to say, to claim that you cure them. That attitude destroys health practitioners. Because he, they have a huge ego. 
that they cure the people. They love the people. And that is the biggest danger you are suffering when you become so famous. I think this is such an important point, and I'm so glad to have our listeners tune into this because talk about becoming famous. You are a very famous body worker. You have this impressive list of celebrity clients from Liza Minnelli, Martha Graham, George Balanchine, Ralph Lauren, Muhammad Ali, Ani DeFranco, and the list goes on and on. And I feel like what you're sharing is so very important in terms of not letting your ego get ahead of you. And I'm wondering, can you speak more about your own success and how did you become so successful? And it sounds like you're also saying keeping this ego in check was a piece of that. First of all, my experience is I was not a professional therapist. I was not trained to be a therapist. I don't have any license. I don't have any credit. I came to America 1970, March 10th, by boat. The reason why I came to America is because I went to small black school, that time we call Negro, just outside of the Jackson, Mississippi. That's where I came. That's the reason why I came to America. It was a very strange uh, Negro school, 1970s. And then when I am leaving Japan, my professor, who happened to be a graduate of Howard University in Washington, D.C., said, Ohashi, when you go to America, you should have some, something in your hand and some technique or some kind of trade, like a shiatsu. And then I studied a little bit. And then, I, of course, uh, I didn't get a license in Japan. I just happened to know some technique. Then 1971, I entered at Howard University. Howard is the best black school. And then I went to the master degree in Afro-American literature. And, but anyway, I was there in Washington, D.C., 1971 to 1972, two years. And then I was attending Howard. Then I needed some extra money to survive. By accident, somebody mentioned that the big health club, health club is looking for somebody. And I fly. And then I gave a treatment to the management woman. And she was so impressed. And I got the job once a week, only five hours a week. And five hours a week, six in the morning to 11. <laughs> I remember that only Wednesday. Just five hours, wow. Yeah, can make enough money to survive for one week. Then 1972, I got kicked out from Howard because poor academic performance. Then 1972, uh, this exercise and health club become so famous. The reason why is because this 
health club is a part of the Watergate. You were working that. at the Watergate Health Club. <laughs> yes, I, I give a lot of treatment to the people who are involved. <laughs> so I become so famous. So then management, management people say, oh, Hashi, you got kicked out from Harvard. We want to hire you full time and we give you a green card. Then I said to the people in Harvard, uh, uh, Watergate, I'm sorry, I didn't come to America for Watergate. I came for black school, but I want to go back to the New York. So I came to New York. Then I become so famous again. So that time is all the hippies, they love me. Oh, Hashi, do you know why did the hippies love you so much? Because I'm a so intellectual guy. I was not anything, I don't know anything about Shiatsu, but I'm a so intellectual guy. I'm reading a lot of books on writing and this. I came here in America for Negro study. <laughs> They love me. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was, I guess in the 60s, yet yeah, they were calling it Negro Studies back then. Wow. Yes, yes. Yeah. When I came to Mississippi, they called Negroes, Negro schools. Yeah. Yeah, Tugaru is a Negro school. <laughs> wow. And so you took what you learned from studying at Howard and then working at Watergate, and then you made your way to New York and you fell in with the hippie crowd who fell in love with you because (laughs) you're an intellectual and clearly you know a lot about the issues of the day. And how did you meet some of these celebrity clients? Well, very fortunately, I was so lucky timing. 1970s and uh, everybody loved the Japanese and everybody loved the Japanese cultures. Zen, macrobiotic, Aikido, Shiatsu, and this, this, and then I am the only one guy who is teaching Shiatsu. So I'm a very unique. You are the person, my understanding is you are the person who brought Shiatsu to the United States and made it popular. My first book is the first Shiatsu book written in English in America. And that's That's so impressive. Can you share the title of that book? And we'll include it in the show notes with a link so people can purchase it. This is very interesting. When I'm preparing for my teaching and I have to make all the notes and because I have a school, 1974, and then one of the students saw my notebook. Oh, Ohashi, if you have this much information, why don't you publish the book? And I, of course, a book? Oh, yes, I have a nice book agent, she said. I didn't know that. In America, you don't need to go to the publisher. You go to the agent. And this agent, is a fantastic guy. He's very wealthy and rich and then very nice guy. And then he find out the very good publisher, E.P. Dutton. And then I finished the book 
within the six months. Still sitting. That's quick. Yeah. yeah, still sitting after 46 years. I'm still getting money. <laughs> it's a good book. I have it. It's a great book. It's a great book. Yes. And so I will include a link to it in the show notes. And you touch on yes. something really interesting, Ohashi. So many people in the audience for this podcast, I know, are in career transitions. Many are holistic practitioners. They're in the healing arts. And they are considering changing their careers, maybe expanding, maybe um, doing something a little new. And I know that in your career, you have expanded from a, you had your private practice and then you developed your school and then you became an author and you also have, you teach around the world and you have online courses. And I'm wondering, can you share with us how did you navigate that change? How did you know when it was time to create something new that you hadn't done before? I am not so smart enough to navigate me, myself. I am always having a wonderful people around me to navigate me. And I'm so lucky, I'm so lucky to know these people so dearly. They love me and they really navigate me. They always support me. They always give me advice, which I always appreciate. And that's the reason why I could succeed to survive. And that's the reason why so it's really, it sounds the people around you, the community around you had an influence on encouraging you and giving you, that, yeah. yeah. I couldn't believe that just on time, these best people encounter me or I encounter them by accident. Yeah. And so I'm a luckiest boy in the world to meet these people, and most important is chronological lack. Okay, you must have three lacks in your life. One is where you got a lack. Second, whom you got a lack, with whom you got lack, and the third one, when the last one is the most important lack when chronological when is a very important for your life i am the luckiest one because i have a three lacks simultaneously on time thank you so much for sharing that that's really helpful i want to ask you ohashi your name means big bridge. And can you tell me, do you feel that you have been a bridge in your life? My first name is W-A-T-A-R-U, Wataru. And my family name is Ohashi. And if you know the Japanese, Wataru means walking and passing on the water. 
So my last name is Big Bridge. So I am the guy who was walking around, passing on the big bridge beyond the above the water. By accident, I was given this name. And I was very grateful my parents gave me this name. But some years ago, I invited some Zen masters for lunch. And I mentioned to these Zen masters, I'm so lucky mine is walking through the big breeze. Then one of the monks screamed, you son of a bitch, don't understand your name. I said, why do you say so? My name is walking through. You don't know what your name means. You are the guy who allows other people to walk through on the big bridge from the, this corner to the other side, on the Pacific, on the Atlantic. Since then, I changed my definition of my name. I am the guy who are inviting and also transforming from this corner to the other corner on my last name. And that's the reason why I went to the Europe, I went back to Japan, 30 different countries, 400 different cities last 50 years. Because I am the guy who are inviting people to transform from this corner to the other corner through Ohashiatsu. Hey there, it's Ellen Browning Lafferty, AKA L Browning. This is a super quick ad to invite you to subscribe to my email list. Be the first to hear about my free and paid workshops, receive my newsletter and get access to additional resources that I share exclusively with my community. I'd love to have you join us. Go to lbrowning.com. That's E-L-L-E-B-R-O-W-N-I-N-G.com. Hit subscribe to get access to all the latest offerings, resources, and updates from yours truly. I hope you'll join us. Now, let's get back to the show. I want to ask you also, the title of this podcast is The Beauty We Love, and it's based off of a Rumi poem, Let the Beauty We Love Be What We Do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. And I'm wondering, Master Ohashi, what is the beauty that you love? And does that inform the work that you do? Dignity. Dignity? Dignity is the most important love you have to hold yourself. So through my, my work, okay, I am always defining myself. Do I have a dignity in what I'm doing in the name of Hashi? So in the name of dignity, I have to love myself and I have to love other people and I have to love my life. I have to love the world. And then my conduct, behavior, my teaching and my treatment my writing books, everything 
it is dignified with my beauty of the aesthetic sense, morality sense, and by all means. So my answer to you is please define each of you dignity. In the name of dignity, you know what to do in your life. And you know how to behave your life. And you can judge your own self-established definition of the dignity. Maybe morality is involved. Then you can live your life. So my advice is, yes, Beauty of love is self-love is a dignity. Social love is a dignity according to your attitude to the society. This is my reason why I call my activity in teaching at the Ohashi Institute, Ohashi Atsu, Ohashi Method, in order to take my responsibility on what I'm doing according to my dignities. And very critical issues, especially body work therapists. I want them to dignify themselves in, in their own work, in, in their practice, in your business. And then please identify your dignity using a last name. That's my advice to everybody. I keep telling everybody, please brand your last name. Register your last name, and according to your last name, you know how to dignify yourself. Can you say more about this, the last name? Yes. Say, for example, in the name of Shiatsu, okay? people call, I'm a Shiatsu practitioner or therapist. And that's fine. But they are they are not taking any responsibility because Shiatsu is a generic name. So nobody taking any responsibility. But if you call, if you register a last name like me, Ohashi, I am responsible. <laughs> so I know how to define myself, not to destroy my last name. I see. Add the dignity piece. Oh, that's so, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Yes. And this is very important. And I keep telling everybody, please register your last name. Never use generic name in your practice. This is such good advice. And I remember you telling us in different classes that you say it's important for your success to consider maybe even developing a method using your name, as you have with Ohashiatsu. And I love that you're bringing in this dignity piece as well, that you're bringing dignity to your practice and being mindful when your name is attached to it, that it sounds like you treat it with such care to ensure that the dignity is there and the integrity, really. Yeah, integrity, yes, or responsibility. You see, you're responsible in what you are doing. And But if you use the name Shiatsu, you are not responsible for what you're doing. Shiatsu has to take care of the responsibilities. 
but nobody <laughs> takes you as a responsibility of shiatsu. People don't come to receive the shiatsu from Ohashi only because Ohashi is Ohashi. That's the reason I have a very famous people around the world. Because <laughs> they don't come because I give a shiatsu. No, I give only Ohashi. So <laughs> I attract so many people who can see my value. That's a different piece. Thank you so much for sharing this because yeah. I work with so many people. I'm a business coach as well as a body worker. And I work with so many of my colleagues who come to me for coaching and they are often very shy about being visible and about maybe even using their name and putting themselves out there because their fear of being criticized and of being essentially made fun of, but it sounds like with what you're saying, Master Ohashi, it's important to your success to be seen and to use your name and to put it out there because in your case, that's people have fallen in love with you. And that's so central to who you are and your brand and what you do, really owning it, owning your identity and your name and all the gifts that you bring into the world through that. This is a very critical moment in history because internet, okay, and computer, all these cell phones, all the emails, all the SNS, whatever, no name, no future. No name, if you don't have a name, you have no future. And this is what I keep telling last 50 years. Now, this coronavirus make me more famous because I stick with my last name. I have a huge future because 50 years I survived. And I want to share this, my experience with the people who are listening today. Please respect your last name, dignify your last name. Stick with the last name, register your last name, identify, then you have a future. Otherwise, you have no future. Ohashi, I'm wondering, you're so passionate about dignity, and this is the beauty you love. And I'm wondering, where does that come from, do you think, that you value uh, but, dignity yeah. so much? Because, yeah, because I am not professional, she very simple. If I have a license and if trained to be a professional shiatsu, wow, I cannot do because I did enough to study and I'm very good at But I came here as a, as a graduate school student and which I was kicked out. So for me, it's a very important, very simple. And very fortunately, good timing, good people, and a good place like New York. So, yes, I'm very extremely lucky by all means. But I'm very fortunate I was not professional shiatsu therapist. That is the biggest asset I had. I'm wondering, is there anyone who came before you who showed you the way? So, for example, any teachers, was there anybody that 
is an el- was an elder of yours, perhaps, who taught you, just as you're teaching others? And not necessarily just shiatsu. It could be really anything in life. But is there anyone you would credit as an elder or a teacher in your life? I have about 20 people I consider my mentor. And 80% of the people, the 16 people, is my client. Clients best my my mentors. And they teach me. They show me. And I really appreciate all my clients. Of course, I have many other people that teach me so much. And But so I always appreciate my clients first. Then by accident, good timing, my so-called, my trade mentor pops out. Then they make me very well-trained. But the most important is clients. I really appreciate that perspective. And I think so much of what you share really helps us in terms of career longevity, other body workers, other people who are holistic practitioners in terms of avoiding burnout, I think. You, I know that you've mentioned, for example, loving your work and seeing every treatment, every client session as something that is for your own benefit and also bringing this dignity to the work and also valuing clients as much as you do. And I'm wondering, is there anything else that you would add words of advice for career longevity as you've had? but advice for career longevity for other people who are in helping and caring professions? This is very important. These are people who are not making enough money. Uh, They cannot survive. They cannot continue. So I always charge the most expensive treatment in New York, which is the most expensive city. And I make a fortune. And I use this money to give a scholarship to my students. So in the end, I'm a broken, but I make a fortune because I make a lot of money. So anyway, my advice to the people who are listening to today, please charge two times more than you are charging now. Change your price tomorrow, double. Make money. And you can go next 10 years because you make a lot of money. And a lot of money brings a dignity to your practice. Then people respect you because you're making money. Many body work therapists, they are not making enough money. So they say, I love my work. They are broken. They are bankrupt. They still, I love the money. This is such important advice. And I, because I know it's something that comes up so much in these helping and caring professions, and especially with body workers. And to anyone who would say to you, oh, but I don't think I can, some of my clients can't afford it, or I don't know if I'm good enough to charge that much, what would you say to them? This is the biggest uh, misunderstand many people that, you know. Oh, this is the point is people, they don't 
look for the cheaper treatment. People looking for the value treatment. Okay? If they don't see any value, even you are so cheap, they don't come back. <laughs> so many bodywork therapists, they believe people cannot afford if I charge more. No. If you charge more, then if the clients see value more than you charge, they are so happy to come back. So you have to re-educate yourself as a professional therapist. That are you giving enough value? If you cannot give an enough value, you cannot succeed. Any business, any work, any human service provider cannot survive. So that's my advice. Provide great value and raise those yes. prices. We heard you. Yes. yes. I love this, it. This is a very, yeah, very, very important people nowadays, especially nowadays, because when, you know, she has to become popular, everybody competing each other, then what they do is reduce the price. They are... <laughs> Then people, rich people, especially the people who are looking the very good treatment, they don't see the value anymore. So they don't come back. So my advice is make sure are you giving value back to your clients? Your treatment is good enough. Your, your toilet is clean enough <laughs> for this money. <laughs> money. Yes, and, uh, and you're bringing your the dignity. Name, yeah. Yeah. Your last name is great value. No. See, this is my advice to you. And, but anyway, yes, I'm very lucky enough because I learned lots from New York people. New York is the worst city in the world, but they are the best teachers. So Hashi, I lived in New York for almost a decade, and that's where I did my undergrad. And I have learned so much from New York City. I am forever in debt to it. And I've loved learning from you in that city. Thank you. I have just a few more questions. My last big question for you, Ohashi, is what is your legacy? Legacy is coming after I die. What do you oh. hope your legacy will be? I don't know. <laughs> but legacy doesn't come when I'm alive. I don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think yeah, I don't know. <laughs> from where I'm sitting, it looks like part of your legacy is in all of the teaching that you have done around the world and all you have done to be this big bridge and to show the path of the bridge for other people as well. So thank you for that. And we'll see what your legacy is. I want to end with just 10 questions uh, that are just silly 
short answer questions. It's called the PIVO questionnaire. Some people know it from inside the actor's studio, which is hosted by James Lipton. He usually asks these 10 questions at the end of his show. They are originally from a French series hosted by Bernard PIVO. So Master Ohashi, I will ask you these 10 questions. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Wow. And it can be in, in Japanese too. It doesn't have to be in English. Yeah. My favorite word is I appreciate. I always keep telling everybody I appreciate you. No matter right. what's happened, I appreciate people. What is your least favorite word? I don't know. For me, English is a second language. So most difficult to pronounce is a terrible word for me. What's <laughs> Like a T-H and a V and a B and F and L, R. And so I hate these words. <laughs> what words are difficult for Americans to pronounce in Japanese? Are there sounds in Japanese that are hard, uh, difficult for Americans? I don't know. Many Americans who live in Japan now, they speak wonderful Japanese and uh, everybody is uh, different. But I don't think any Japanese words is so difficult for non-Japanese speaking people to book because of the wow uh, movement. And so you can see that like a Spanish it's English is a very difficult to pronounce for Japanese, but in American people, it's easy to pronounce Japanese because I, E, U, E, O. Sure, because the vowels. Yeah. But, I wonder if it's just, it's more difficult for us to learn to read and to write in Japanese, maybe with the characters. Yes. And nowadays, there's also opportunity to write Japanese or translate and so it's getting easier all right question number three what turns you on creatively spiritually or emotionally i'm a lazy laziness always give me wonderful to be creative and making idea pops out simply because i'm lazy I think there's so and, much uh, wisdom in that. Yeah. Yes. I'm a, I'm a zombie all the time. So very creative and hardworking to be a zombie. So that's the reason why I have a very unique ideas. And for example, 1974, I was so lazy. So how to survive? Uh, how to survive without money. Then I got idea. Oh, I should establish non-profit education organization. Non-profit is means for lazy people because you don't need profit. So that's one way to look at it. <laughs> yes, non-profit means you don't need money. You don't need to make a profit you know, at least. Then I didn't know that. Nonprofit can have a right to receive the donations. The people who are so rich, they don't want to pay tax. 
they give me a donation and they don't need to pay a tax because they give a donation to Ohashi, which Ohashi has a non-profit education organization. We are the only Seattle school in the world which is non-profit. Next year, uh, next year the 50th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. That's yes, incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, yes. that's Only wonderful. Because, because I'm lazy. It's your laziness. <laughs> it's your laziness that has led to some of your greatest creative pursuits. Yes, because if I work so hard, I'm already dead. Yeah. I remember you saying in one of our classes that you take, you would give us very long lunch breaks, I think two hour lunch breaks. And you said you would not only eat lunch during your lunch break, but you would also take a bath because you liked to think of your work as though you're on vacation. Yes. Yes. It's brilliant. Thank yes. you for that thought. And when, yes, uh, when I give a treatment, it's my exercise time, meditation time. And then I, when I give a treatment, uh, this is a wonderful rest. And, uh, you know, 60% uh, of the treatment, I'm taking a nap. The reason why people don't know that I'm, you know, sleeping 60% is because they are sleeping 70%. <laughs> Your treatments are very relaxing. So yes, they are so happy because they are, they believe they are receiving treatment, but Ohashi is sleeping. Because... <laughs> Thank you for sharing, Ohashi. I will continue with the next question, number four. So that so what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally is laziness. And question number four: What turns you off? Discipline. Yeah, which yeah. I don't have. People say, oh, Ohashi, you have to have a discipline. I hate this kind of work. And I'm not encouraged by disciplines. Very fortunately, I was raised in starvation time. Uh, I was very fragile, not healthy. So for me, is discipline is very difficult to practice. Because physically, I cannot do that. And so when I wake up in the morning, I always list up that I don't need to do today. So I pick up the paper, then I put in, I don't need to do this one. I don't need to do this one. I don't need to do this one because I have no disciplines. So at the end of the day, I pick up this paper, then, oh, I didn't do that. So I accomplished my goal. Oh, I didn't do that. I succeeded my goal. Oh, great. I didn't have a time to do that one. I didn't have a discipline to do that one. Oh, I succeeded all my resolution of the days. So that's the reason why I could survive. I think I want to thank you for sharing that because it's, I think, so unexpected for a lot of people who think they have to be so disciplined and work so hard to find the kind of success that you have achieved. So thank you for sharing that. It sounds like part of your secret 
is enjoying what you do and not, as you said, like whipping yourself and forcing yourself to do things that are really distasteful to you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What is your favorite curse word? Cuss people. You don't curse? Don't okay. Cuss. Okay. Yeah. I don't cuss myself. Okay. Uh, what we can, you can skip that question then. Yeah. If you cuss, and you need a lot of energy to cuss, which I don't have. Just smiling, say, I appreciate you. I say thank you to them yeah. instead of a cuss people. What sound or noise do you love? The wind, oh, because we live in the beautiful areas and we built a house around the trees. We didn't cut the trees. We built the house in the trees. So anyway, yes, wind. Wind, um, beautiful. Lovely wind. And I love that. And natural and like a wind I love very much. What sound or noise do you hate or dislike? Siren. Yeah, siren. And uh, this siren is police car sirens and fire engine sirens. And even the tells the noon, some area, instead of a church is gong or siren. I, I have a trauma on siren. Because I was born 1944. So when I was conceived, even in my mother's body, I heard a lot of silence because the American born 29 is bombing. Before they start bombing, entire city, huge silence to warn the people to run away. So I still have a, this silent trauma, and I hate the silent. And I and then 1921 September 11th, I happened to be in New York, and a terrible silence. And 9/11, I happened to be in New York, and I had a lot of silence, and police cars, firefighters, ambulance. Uh, silence is my uh, traumatic. That makes Physically, so much I, sense. Yeah. I shiver my body. And, uh, shiver. Yeah. I have a question, silence. Ohashi. This is not one of the final questions, but how, given the trauma of the war and of being born where you were born, what, how did you not hate America? Or did you hate well, America? Well, uh, this is my generation, which is 1944, I was born. But if I'm 10 years older, very different. If I am 10 years younger, very different. So my generation, 1944 generation, is a very strange attitude to Americans. First of all, the first my experience with Americans is elementary school, okay? So elementary school, I enter at the age of six. 
That means 1950, okay? Then the first food is a leftover crushed, squeezed, American leftover garbage type of the milk. What do you call that? Dry milk. And it smells terrible. And that is the first encounter with America. <laughs> but we appreciate very much because everybody dying because of starvation. But in a school, we still have a food, even it's terrible milk. So very ambivalent. I hate American food, but I appreciate because we survived. I see. Yeah. So, yes, everybody has a different attitude to us. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for sharing, Ohashi. Thank you. Okay. So, just a few more questions. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? What other profession I keep? I'm always meditating and dreaming and then I'm always try to challenge some degree according to the situations and when I'm here and during the coronavirus I'm challenging so much cooking cooking I'm a very good cook but I am challenging to be better cook and very fortunately I improved so much, and that is a challenge. <laughs> Last two years, I'm a very, very fond of. Thank you, Hashi. So you would maybe be a chef, a cook. Yes. Okay. And a very good chef, but I cannot charge my cooking. So <laughs> instead. <laughs> so instead I charge a lot my ohashiyatsu. <laughs> Excellent. And what profession would you not like to do? I don't have any chance to do some other professional. I'm a very curious person. I'm a very, I want to know other people's trades and, and you no, know, every trade, any work, and they have their own kind of a fun and okay but so I, maybe I many yeah no no professions maybe no okay huh? last question if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates well i don't know if i want to hear one word i want to heaven to be fair to everybody who are suffering in this world. But sometimes I think heaven is not so fair to the people. And so uh, equality of the fairness to everybody, rich and poor, powerful, not so powerful. And I want to heaven to be more fair to the people. Master Ohashi, thank you so much for taking the time 
to interview with me today. You have really honored us with your presence and with sharing your wisdom. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. Thank you, Erin. This is my pleasure and honor to be interviewed by you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you, Ohashi. The Beauty We Love podcast is produced by yours truly, Ellen Browning Lafferty, a.k.a. L. Browning. Our podcast theme song is Southside by KLM. I also want to thank you for tuning in and staying until the end. If you got something good from this episode, I encourage you to subscribe and leave a review. You can also go to my website where you can join my email list to stay up to date on all my latest offerings, as well as get access to my newsletter. Go to lbrowning.com. That's E-L-L-E-B-R-O-W-N-I-N-G.com. Join me next week as I interview photographer, holistic practitioner, body worker, and family constellations facilitator, Sage Hayes. I think we don't want to look directly at oppression. I don't think any of us really want to look that directly at it because often we've been complicit in it, whether we're on the dominant side of it, that's what we learned how to do. And I think on the opposite side of impact, if we've been impacted, it's really hard to look at it because it's actually so painful. It's actually taken so much from our lives. And so to me, I think there's this way to build emotional and embodied capacity to begin to tolerate some of the more, the next levels of distressing feelings and pain about it because that pain, all living with it to varying degrees. And I think being able to, to help each other build more capacity to, to really be with it and not look away and stay with it until the grief is grief, the rage is rage, the tears have, it's like when you have a cry and it gets interrupted and it or if you have a cry and it doesn't get interrupted and you're able to just go to its completion and afterwards like for me i'm so tired but it feels wow really really something there it's like i want us to be able to do that more with each other we'll see you next week